Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Prestige Bald Move podcast, or as we like to call them, Bald Move Prestige podcasts. Uh, this one's for 1986's Stand By Me, a movie that neither myself nor this gentleman sitting across from me uh, has ever seen. Believe it or not. Yeah, it's another one of those weird uh, cult kid gaps where we weren't allowed to watch rated R movies and shit. Um, it's directed by Rob Reiner who man has directed a lot of good movies. Get a load of this. This is Spinal Tap, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men, a screenplay written by Bruce Evans and Reynold Gideon, who has done stuff I've heard of, but that's exactly how I describe it. I've heard of that thing. Like Starman. That's that. That's that Jeff Bridges. Bridges Alien, alien movie yeah. and, and Cutthroat Island. That, that that had Gina Davis as a pirate, like before Johnny Depp, like and 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 cuffs. That was. Did that have? Uh, that was Christian Slater as a cop? I think. The, I think. the Princess Bride guy in it, I, or just a guy who looks like the Princess Bride guy. Carrie Ulysses. Yeah, could be. Point point is, I added these guys. They they did stand by me and then just kind of jobbed it. Yeah. Uh, is based on a book by, called The Body, uh, a novella, a short story by Stephen King. It stars Will Wheaton, uh, who went on to infamy on Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm going to fucking talk about this. Yes, I will. Uh, River Phoenix, who was the darling of Hollywood. Uh, and you can see why if you've seen him in this film. Uh, he went on to star with Harrison Ford in Mosquito Coast. He was cast to be the young Indiana Jones and in Indiana Jones uh the last crusade and then died of a drug induced uh heart attack outside the viper room at age 23 fucking tragedy the first hollywood tragedy i remember mm-hmm. cory feldman who only by the grace of god did not go the same route uh who you will remember from yeah. all-star podcast on goonies uh jerry o'connell who i only know from being married to rebecca romaine uh, oh, you got to know him from Sliders. And Sliders. Okay. So I was going to say Sliders. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Keith or Suth- Sutherland from The Lost Boys uh, and 24, Jack Bauer and 24, and Richard Dreyfus, one of my cinematic kryptonites, uh, who was stars in Jaws, Mr. Holland's Opus, etc. Uh, he's the narrator of this movie. Um, Jim, what did you think about as as a nearly 40 year old man? Or, uh, what did you think about this coming of age tale about these teenage boys? Um, well, no preteen boys, uh, yeah. growing up in the 1950s, having their first big adventure. Oh, I, I remember being a boy. It was a long <laughs> time ago, but I remember it. Yeah. I, it, I don't know. I thought this was a good movie. I, I'm, I do wish I had seen it before back in probably not in 1986. Cause I would have been like four years old, but, uh, sometime in the nineties, I wish I would have seen this mid nineties when it was probably playing on TV every other day with a couple of Corey Feldman scenes edited out for content um, uh-huh, and yeah. timing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I like this movie. It is one of those kind of classic coming of age stories and it has a lot of heart and I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I did not know what to expect because, you know, I, I knew I've, I've seen them walking across the, the, um, you know, train tracks holding each other's shoulders and I'd uh, seen the pie eating contest scene. I hadn't I didn't I had no idea that was coming. I had no idea that that was coming. Okay. And, you know, I'd known all these young actors, but and I kind of was loosely aware of the plot, but I I was just really blown away by this film. Hmm. Um like it almost frame by frame, minute by minute, like, oh yes, I understand why this is well regarded and brilliant. And I was expecting it to be funny and I thought it would be sad at the end. I wasn't really prepared for how melancholy the whole fucking thing was. Yeah. Um, it is punched by some humor that happens to these kids. And thank God, or the movie would be oppressive. It'd be something like watching it on. And it's just Pennywise the clown. But um, it, it does have a lot of humor, but like just, just the way these kids lives are is just kind of depressing. And uh, um, it's just sad. Like some of these, these childhood yeah. revelation revelations that they had, like, you know, like like a, a kid who's who's grown up in poverty from a disadvantaged childhood. There's a lot of abuse and trauma, but he hasn't quite given up faith in the institutions in in society. And then when he does, mm-hmm. that's fucking heartbreaking, man. And I was and also these kids are just killing it. Yeah. Um. I I I've rarely seen better child actors. Um. 
And there's then apparently I, a method to that madness that we can maybe talk about. Yeah, because that's what I was, it was also this. So then so I, I, I had a really good time watching this movie in like a cathartic kind of like I, you know, I laughed, I cried. I did all those things very relate. There's a I found this movie very relatable because, um, you know, my childhood in the late 70s and 80s. I live next to a train tracks and to a big woods with a creek and I've walked miles down it with my and and I had a bunch of hard luck friends that, you know, a bunch of losers and misfits I hung around with. So I, I got a lot of what this movie was pitching. But then I actually I looked at the making of and I'm like, man, I don't know if I if I subscribe to all of these method acted choices choices that are being made. And then you read about like Corey Feldman's childhood and River Phoenix's childhood. And yeah. These kids were picked for their childhoods because they so closely resembled what was on screen. And when you see what's on screen uh, and and what Corey, like Corey Feldman's description of like how he got, it's like, it's just really fucking bleak. Mm -hmm. So it was like another is a double whammy where it's like, I fell in love with this film. And then I, I did so much tragedy and even like, like, like Will Wheaton talks about this movie. Like it's literally the big brother that he's in the shadow of and he can never eclipse it or get out from underneath it. Like it's like haunted him in a Moby Dick way throughout his career. Um, and, and I think about that and the, the way things went for him on star Trek and shit. And it's just, that's, mm-hmm. that's sad too. And I'm sure we'll get around to talking about all that. Um, where should we begin? Should I tell people this, this is a movie's almost 35 years old. Should I tell people like the general gist of it? Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, this movie is about four kids, um, three of them mostly kind of like losers and one from a good family, but they're on the skids because his older brother has died. Uh, uh, His promising all-American brother has died, and this is the last summer they have before junior high when things start getting a little adult and maybe kids with uh, college aspirations get separated from the kids who are going into shop. And they decide to have one last adventure. They've they've heard a rumor that there's a there's a missing kid and someone's discovered his body and the four uh, 12 year olds set out to find it. Um, And it's about their 48 hour adventure on finding the body. If they're going to find the body, will they get to the body? Uh, The things that they learn about their hopes and fears. Um, And yeah, it's just real 12 year old boys out in the woods having pretty relatable little boy experiences. And I found it very moving. Um, yeah. Set in the fifties. Um, yep. Aggressively. I, I, so yeah, for sure. Uh, everything it's, it's a small town and there are like, you know, the hot rod kids, the whatever, um, the greasers, the hoods. Yeah. All the music is themed from the fifties, uh, of the era. So yeah, that, that was one of the things that struck me because like my dad is exactly these kids age. Like if mm. if this is the early 50s, this is my dad. Um, Same as mine. Yeah. And I grew up with like all of the music in this movie that just playing in my house all the time because he was very much a fan of that period music. So like every song I knew and it was like a jam except for fucking lollipop, which needs to be yeah burned off the face of the fucking billboard charts. But whatever <laughs> Novelty songs, what are you going to do? <laughs> They seem like a good idea at the time. Trash song. (laughs) Uh, But everything else is great. So, yeah. I I was really identifying from that angle, too. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I I see where my dad could have been one of these kids. And, oh, I grew Mm. up with all this music, too. So I'm kind of getting in the rhythm of it. Yeah. And also the movie just is, like, extremely efficient. Um, We were talking about it being a breezy, like, um, uh, uh, 109 minutes yesterday when we were looking forward to watching it and uh, I'm like wow that's a really short movie but it did feel short like you know what I'm saying <laughs> okay. like it, normally it, it, that's what I'm not saying. a compliment yeah okay but but like uh, I don't know like I've, I've been watching a couple of these DC animated like superhero films and they're they're like 66 minutes and they feel like it they feel like a double episode of a Justice League or something right yeah yeah but this is like 10 minutes longer and it feels like a two and a half hour. You know, it doesn't I, feel I, I guess I, like there's, no, there's yeah, meat yeah, on yeah. Those, the small bones, right? Yes. Yes. And there's like mm-hmm. lots of slow parts that make it like and slow and absorbing sense where kids are just having this conversation by a fire. And some of the conversations are ridiculous and some of them are horrific and traumatic, but they're all just like so watchable because. Again, these kids are directed and the, 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 the basic dialogue is written so well that like you just get like sucked into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
so the the other thing is, what did you think about the 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 craftsmanship of the film? Because to me, this felt very like meat and potatoes. It does. It totally does. And the narrator stuff doesn't help that feeling. Um, to me, it's like you know they do this in Shawshank too, but I think Shawshank is a better movie, and and the narration is done better in that movie. In this, yeah. this felt like. This felt like the Wonder Years version of narration, which is perfect for what the Wonder Years is. But I didn't see this movie as the Wonder Years. I saw this movie and I guess maybe this is my fault because I was kind of expecting more horror out of this movie. Mm. Um, it being a Stephen King short story um, that was adapted to the screen, I expected something more out of the supernatural or the horror or something from this. And, and I, I when say, it didn't come, I was a little disappointed, but oh, you know, not okay. too much. See, I this reputation was it was a, it is not I didn't was it was not expecting to be supernatural at all. Okay, um, so I wasn't disappointed in that way. And I will say that like there's few things I find more terrifying than children with a loaded weapon. <laughs> because, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Holy fuck! Like I was like so every time that gun came out, and then like gave it to Corey Feldman's character, and I'm like, why would you give him the fur? He's going to shoot you all in your sleep. Um, a literal Chekhov's gun. I, I mean, yeah, the construction of this movie is is fine. It's nothing special. I there thought. and there, there are a couple like uh, there's a couple, there's a sequence where the boys. Uh, this is a pretty famous sequence where they're running from a train out of a mm-hmm. trussle, and he uses like one of those like uh, you know, uh, extreme zoom lens to make it look like that train is like right on top of the boys. And it's nowhere near him, and. Um, and there's like also works, like there's a not really. there's kind of like a sepia tone on Golden Pond to the whole movie, um, like mm-hmm. the, the film treatment, the stock they used and the the light they shot. Everything's like filtered through trees and bouncing off of rivers. And, it, and, and that is extremely nostalgic. And I think that that is like a grace note of this movie. It feels like mm-hmm. someone's gold tinged memories of their childhood. Yeah. It, it, it to me, I don't know. So to me, it feels like a bunch of '90s movie, po- like Dances with Wolves movie poster. And I, I don't know about the movie itself if it's tinged with that color, but like it, this feels like Cutthroat Island poster. This feels huh. like Dances with Wolves poster in just its visual style. Yeah, that sepia kind of, you know. Yeah, yeah I, and, I and those were all movies that I was like, not interested in because you know they're not for me right i'm growing up in the 90s i'm a kid i'm not watching dances with fucking wolves uh so so to me like that look doesn't have doesn't ring a lot of nostalgia bells but also Mm. i can see if it does for it just captures that feeling of like walking by a bank on a 95 degree day Mm -hmm. and when you're 12 years old and like heat sucks but it's not like as the way it is when you're uh, an adult and the way the light catches i don't know like i get that's i guess that's why i like hiking and camping is like i'll find a place that like instantly transports me back to like my granddad's farm or something and i can hear the fucking way the bird sound and the frogs that's like this movie is kind of like distilled from that where is this set in like on the Uh, i guess it's set in maine right castle rock oregon or okay yeah. so he's got okay okay because i thought that someone said something about portland but i thought all of his shit was set in, in maine okay castle no, rock. apparently um this this version of castle rock because castle rock is obviously a thing in yeah. stephen king's works yeah uh, it's, is it's in oregon it's wild how kind of like universal i guess the the i guess the rural childhood is you know when you don't live close to a city or you live in a small town it's separated by it and you can kind of have the run of it with your bike and all that it's kind of crazy. I don't know if that's still the same with like suburbs kind of creeping in on that. But I, like, I seriously doubt it with electronics and computers and stuff like it, it started to change in like my era of growing up in the early yeah. to, to mid 80s uh, yeah. with, you know, video games and computers like we, we still definitely had that time where we'd go out and ride our bikes and, and shoot hoops and do all the right. stuff you think of that like kids from the you know 1300s to to now could have done uh mm-hmm. but i think it's changing it very yeah. rapidly i kept on comparing this movie to goonies in my mind because like goonies feels like this with magical realism yeah uh and also the the court the, the edge is sanded off so it's pg um or pg13 and this was 
um, childhood with the magical reality completely removed. Like that line that uh, River Phoenix says about, you know, like no matter what, whatever gifts a child is given will all be taken away from them before they reach adulthood unless there's someone to look out for them. And like that really rang true to me. And like, I guess that's what's the difference is like Goonies, like every one of those kids came from a family that loved them. Mm-hmm. And all their 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 nuclear family was there uh, to to greet them, even though they're losing their houses and all that. And they loved each other. And it's there for them. None of the kids parents are here for them in this film. And it like captures that kind of like floor falling out from from beneath me feeling of childhood. And and the fact that these kids, yeah. that's the one thing that maybe is a little different because I don't know how self-aware kids are that that shit's going on because. Mm, right. When I when I was growing up, like I just feel I I felt like that everyone kind of like had the exact same childhood that I did, you know, like uh, their parents would scream at each other behind closed doors, but they never fight in public because that's you know that's what separates us from the animals is like we only we only we pretend like we love each other and are happy, but behind closed doors that's when the claws come out. Um, but I but even then there was limits to it, and I remember like when I was like eleven years old, I went to a child's house up here. Um, I think it was my one of my cousins and he told his mom to go fuck herself. Hmm. And I think I'd only heard the F word maybe twice in my whole life. And the idea that like a child could do that to their parent and not immediately be just wiped off from the face of the earth made yeah. my head explode. But it's like one of those things where it's like, I feel like that most kids that are growing up in traumatic experiences kind of probably feel like everyone's doing, you know, like, cause how yeah, the hell yeah. would you know until you grow up and realize, Oh man, don't, Remember, you know, remember the times you'd go three days without food, everybody? No. Oh, shit. That was just me. Like, it, it kind of felt like capturing that kind of stuff. And I felt that was really interesting. And I like the, the, the thing that I like most about this movie, I think. And the thing that it does probably better than some other coming of age stories is it shows that kids, almost regardless of their circumstances, are... It can be um, sort of neglected or or spoiled in different ways, but they all kind of come back to the same thing where their parents just don't care enough. Because um, you look at all the diverse kids here, right? One of them's got a dad who was, you know, on the beaches of Normandy, probably has PTSD, went up to the uh, asylum or whatever. Um, and so, you know, his kid is traumatized by that. And then you've got the kid who by all rights is just a normal kid. Will Wheaton. Um, he, he might be a little weird, you know, telling stories is not like the common pastime in these small towns, but you know, his parents don't beat him or anything. His parents aren't Mm. crazy. They're normal people. They definitely loved his brother, but that's the problem, right? They loved his brother and he's not the one that they loved. So like, there's just a bit of neglect there, right? It's not like, oh, yeah. you know, th- this is the fucking breakfast club and you're Judd Nelson getting beat by your right. father. But there is that yeah. kid, right? Um, there is that kid, yeah. And, and then there's just the fat kid, right? Like his body doesn't doesn't fit into the expected norms. And so now right. he's feeling shitty. It's just this gamut of experiences of childhood that all can result in you feeling left out or left behind. And that to me is the strength of this movie. Yeah. And I think that's the other, the, the idea that um, it's a couple of times where Dreyfus, uh, the narrator observes that like he's lost touch with this person or that person. And like the idea that like that is part of life. And that's something you learn, you know, um, that like not everyone is going to be uh, around. And that's the other thing is like, I feel like that Goodwill Hunting bites the hell out of this movie. Goodwill, Goodwill Hunting is this this movie, except for instead of about going into high school, it's about going to college. Hmm. OK, but like, you know, like the, the River Phoenix thing is like it's not an asshole to like stop hanging out with your friends if your friends are holding you back. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you got the opportunity to escape this shithole town, you should fucking take it because like you know, we would uh, if we thought we could. And then there's like, I don't want to yeah. spoil everything, but there's like this one final. There's a, a couple final tragedies towards the end of the movie that I thought you know, really hit this kind of, and I guess that's the thing is like, this movie is like so well liked and beloved by such a wide swath of Americans. I, it's hard. It's sometimes mind blowing in, in, as I grow up and I see the stuff that we grew all grew up with. And then I look at the landscape of where we're at culturally and Mm -hmm. like, how in the hell did we get there? And the other thing is, I feel like those types of people I'm talking about would watch this movie and think the exact same thing, but they would be thinking about like terms of like, 
you know, whether kids should be allowed to take hormones or whether the government should force, you know, us to do something. And I'm thinking of just in terms of like basic empathy and civility and the understanding that cruelty is bad and, you know, loyalty is good. Anyway, uh, because this movie just like really hits home how fucking arbitrary everything is. Mm And the only thing we can do is to be there for each other to stand, stand by our friends, you know? Yeah. And how unfair it is. Like to me, the best scene of this movie is when river Phoenix explains the milk money. Yeah. I I was just like, Jesus. Yeah. You've been betrayed by everybody who you ever expected to care about you. Haven't you? And that's, I I guess we're good to spoilers now. Um, because that's the thing that I found was the hardest hitting part of the movie. And it comes relatively early is like mm-hmm. the fact that like this, and you, you already know enough about this kid that like, you know, his dad beats him up and he drinks a lot. And he's from this, like his, 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 his older brother is the second Lieutenant in the fucking gang the that goes brigade, around and the Cobras. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Runs around just doing just stupid nihilist shit. Why? Because they don't have any economic opportunity or hope for the future. Mm-hmm. And you know, like change people's skin colors and clothing and where they live and just mix and match that. And that's, that's a universal theme. Yeah. But you know, he, you, you get to this point where, and you, all you know is he's, he's the kid that stole the milk money. How, what a fucking bastard. And he tells a story where he felt bad about it, tried to give it back. And the teacher he turned it into stole it again uh-huh. to let him take the fall and bought something nice for herself. And the thing that really broke what it broke down is he said, like, I didn't think a teacher. And then he starts crying because yeah. he still believed then like, OK, well, maybe my house is fucked up and my old man doesn't play by the rules. And that's why we're a bunch of thieving criminals. But you know what? There's other people, good people out there that like, you know, I can. And, and he fucking got betrayed. Jesus. And, and uh, I mean, it's the, the entire town, right? Because, like, the reputation preceded him, right? He's, they wouldn't yes. believe him if he told the story. And, right. And, and so he just doesn't even bother. So he walks down this path that he's being pointed down by the entire town. Yeah. And that's where he's going to end up. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. It was sad. <laughs> it was extremely sad. It was sad. And it's like, you know, it's like, I don't think that happens all the time, but like I do sure. like, I mean, my, in my small rural town, there was definitely families that were like fucking blacklisted and that the teachers didn't oh, yeah. really have any hopes because they had already had five of them through their classes and they were all a bunch of shit birds and their dads were shit birds too. And it's like, instead of thinking like, well, yeah. gee whiz, how can we short circuit the, you know, shit bird to jail cycle? It's just, well, if I, you know, like just try to get them flunked out or, 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 uh, um, you know, uh, expelled as soon as you can. Meanwhile, like kids that were well connected, had some money, they were good on a football team. Their cops come in, bust them with weed, and they just get a phone call to their parents. You know, mm-hmm. it's just fundamentally unfair. And that for a, to watch an eleven or twelve year old finally realize that, like, oh, there is like, yeah, there's no hope, and to get it back. Because I thought that's like, man, I don't know what to think about this part of the story where it's like this guy, kid's nihilist for a good reason. But Will Wheaton talks him into like, hey, you know what? You're smart and you're resourceful and you pretty much take care of all this. You can you can hack the shit. And he does becomes a lawyer and he gets stabbed in a bar trying to break up a bar fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad. You know, like, fuck, fuck. Uh, the, what what a, what a random. And it's like that's happened such rapid fire. Like, I, 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 I still need to sit with this movie because I, I love this movie. I think it's brilliant. But that ending was such a wallop and everything happened so fast. And I'm still like. I guess that's kind of central to the theme of the movie, though, you know, is that like shit just happens, man. And for no damn good reason, no matter where you come yeah. from, um, because I I, you know, I guess if he had lived and you could say, well, Steve King, Stephen King and Robert, uh, Rob Reiner are like propping up the idea of the American dream that like, yeah, if it's all you had to do is work hard and it sucked, but you just gut it out and you're now nah, you fucking still get stabbed in a bar fight. So <laughs> fuck yeah. you. Here's what's new in premium content for our club members. This week, Jim's away, so the producer will play. That's right, it's time for another fabulous lunch with Talitha and Aaron. Not only do we have an alternate host lineup, we also are doing it on an alternate day. Lunch will be served on Wednesday. All that, plus the usual bullshit for me, served live or catch the podcast version out later that day. We're about a month out from the kickoff of Badass Fest 6, so get your tickets now while available at baldmove.com slash live. 
Come watch an outrageously badass mystery film with us, grab another snack and beverage from the theater's fully stocked bar, then get back in your seat for a live recording of the accompanying podcast. Get more info and tickets at baldmove.com slash live. If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content, plus ad-free feeds. These kids' performances, well, did you see any cracks to them? Because I was looking, and maybe there's like a, maybe a scene or two where one of them or the other was shaky, and I guess that Rob Reiner had to, because these kids are so young and raw, like one of the stories he told was like Jerry O'Connell just standing in the background of the scene where uh, Corey Feldman's going all, all out in the junkyard guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And he pull, he's like, cut, cut, cut. He pulls him aside. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm not doing anything. I got no lines. He goes, that's the problem. Your best friend is in the fight of his life and you need to feel something about that. So on the next time through, I want you to really listen and like on the cue, like act what you think you do if one of your friends. So like. That clearly works, but I, I saw there's maybe one or two takes where maybe they weren't all planned from the same, but like, I just can't believe, like, I think it's amazing when you get like one singular performance, like, uh, Hallie Joel Osmond from the sixth sense. Yeah. But getting four of them to happen all the fucking time. Sure. Uh, it, it feels you, less manicured than something like the Goonies, right? The Goonies, I feel like I'm watching a movie more so, um, in this, I feel like I'm watching some kids just doing their thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I know we praised the Goonie kids for like how realistically they acted like children and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I know what you're I know what you mean. Yeah, um, it's, it's like, you know, the fucking what's the Asian kids name in that uh, data data? Yeah, like a bunch of his lines sound like lines, right? Right. Um, and it, I don't know if it's just because you don't have a good enough director to get those well, lines other, delivered I, in. The, the other thing is I also like I wonder if it's like we knew what kids in the 80s sounded like and talked like but like these are 50s kids so like it's at one level of culture removed with their clothing and the things they're eating and it's so it's like maybe we like that sounds a little bit but I, I think you're right I think it's a little bit more natural performance in this but it's wild because behind the scenes it was highly manicured like Rob Rob Reiner was doing all kinds of shit to get these the kids motivated for their performances. Or I just uh, know how foul mouthed kids are at that age, even at that yeah, age. And yeah. the Goonies wasn't able to lean into that as much as this movie. <laughs> so right. this just feels more natural. Yeah. Do you, you alluded to maybe some controversial things that Rob Reiner did to get mo- to motivate the kids or did you? Oh, did it, you- it, it wasn't necessarily the controversial thing. Um, things that I read about. I, I was I read that he sort of subscribed to a philosophy and I want to say it was like a book. Um, that kind of taught you, he called the Bible of relationships, um, relationship building for these kids where he would have them play games. He got them all together and forced them to play a bunch of games that sort of made them bond over the course of X yeah, number the, of weeks. The, like the first couple weeks of production, no shooting, no script, no rehearsal, just playing board games and doing like outings and dinners and yeah. just yeah like like corporate retreats except for children right yeah 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 um and it seems like that worked pretty well it did so like it did but like i i found it hard because i was going through the oral histories and i found it hard to square like rob reiner's comments on the remarks about how like well-oiled and like how fast friends they were with like will wheaton's candid accounts of like being like bullied Mm. By, like mercilessly by like Corey Feldman to the point of tears to the point where like River Phoenix like the, the other like quote unquote bad kid on set was like man ease up on this kid like director was like you got to quit fucking with this kid uh, and like Corey is pretty unapologetic <laughs> in the interviews he's like yeah Will Wheaton was sheltered by his parents and you know me and River were thrown through the wolves so like yeah he was kind of soft um so we tear into him that's not an excuse well, man. i mean yeah yeah i get it and, <laughs> yeah but he's like seems also, like a shit I, i'll just he seems say like him. a shit but like if even half of what he says sure. is true like he was just really bullied and abused by like you know like he's going to acting but your grades are slipping and we're going to beat you if your grades slip because if your grades slip you can't work and if you can't work you can't make money if you can like like old school Hollywood factory child acting, except for enforced by your parents. And then river Phoenix is from the yeah. other direction 
where he was raised by fucking hippies mm-hmm. that were, you know, apparently, I don't know, completely hand off the rudder for like moral and ethics and just letting the kids figure it out. I don't know if that's a fair characterization. That's what I got from from reading it. And he just goes wild into like drugs and hedonism and ends up dying at 23. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought it was wild that like Rob Reiner, there was a cup. There's a take where he said, um, that the kids like he talked about the fact that the train was so far away that it wasn't authentically giving them the terror. And I will say that, like, that was one of the scenes that stood out from those. Those kids running from the train looked like they were scared to death. Mm-hmm. And I guess that they were like cup take after take. They were just like not taking it serious or we're not getting the appropriate terror. And Rob Reiner pulled them aside and screened out and said, you're keeping all these professionals here late at night because you're fucking around and you're not taking this seriously. And that train might not kill you. But if you don't get this on this next trait, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and then he says he got he's in. They, they's like they did the best take of the day and they came off and they're crying and they hugged them. It's like, oh, thanks, Rob, for helping us get there. And I'm like, did they or did you just try? Did you yeah. just? As a Hollywood, as a big shot Hollywood director that all these kids grew up watching you on TV, by the way, you're a you're a, a, a sitcom star. Everyone knows you on from all in the family. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, huh? And then like Corey Feldman is like famous, I guess, having a hard time or no uh, River Phoenix was having a hard time, like crying for that one scene that he's talking about his teacher. And Rob Reiner's like, hey, um, you don't have to tell me what it is, but I need you to think of a story where like an adult in your life has really let you down in a major way. And then he and then it's like, OK, oh, that's well, fine. that's totally fine. I, Yeah, just like threatening kids. I I don't know. What do you do? What do you do? Right. Like, I'm not sympathizing yeah. here with, with Mr. Reiner. I don't think he probably should yell in the face of kids and say, I'm going to murder you if, in your sleep if you don't get this right. But also, what the fuck do you do? You've got millions of dollars here. They're at stake. It's your job to get the shit on film the way that you need it to be on film do you fire the actors and go with another group? Like start this whole thing over? What, what are you to do? Right? Yeah. I mean, no, no, like I said, it's like, it's, so this is shit that like, you know, my parents and our parents and collectively Gen X, you know, before, like this was just the way you would do get things out of children and how you motivate mm-hmm. them, you know, fear and, and uh, compliance. Right. Oh, so yeah. like, I'm not like excessively clutching my pearls about all this. I'm just saying that in 2021, I guess what I would say is like, that's fine what you to get, but maybe also when you got the kid reduced to tears, uh, I don't know, maybe have a, a therapist or something for him to talk to uh, on, on the set. <laughs> Repair the damage. Uh, because Rob Reiner's essentially like, and I got him to make the performance, and we all went home that night. And yeah, I'm like, I okay. I had a big steak dinner, and I had a, a bottle of wine, and I never yeah. thought about those kids again. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> like, there needs to be some kind of fucking, because um, like, yeah, uh, you, know, you got one kid being bullied, you got this other kid, like, you know, uh, uh, the I, I just thought it's like, yeah, I, I think because the other thing is like, yeah, what do you do? Just make kids marionettes like, well, you know, you need to cock your eyebrow a half inch more. No, we need a little put the more put more eyedrop. So I, I get you. I But I just felt like that's the thing. It's like it's felt like a mid 80s child production where, you know, because I, I when when I was halfway through that anecdote, I'm like, oh, God, he's going to have one take where like he told the safety guys to back have the train actually coming down the track, get us right. get, get the shits yeah, out. Get but right like, no, their asses. He, it turns out he just just personally threatened them with their lives. So right. <laughs> uh, um, nowadays we have the solution. We just CG it. Right. We like CG yeah. the kids. Yeah. Just literally I, make them puppets. Yeah. And the other thing is like I felt like some of those shots were green screen composited. Like yeah. him talking about the the wide angle long the long focus thing, it's like yeah, I thought a couple of those were composited, but might have been. Um, most of them were were in camera and it looked, looked really fucking good. Um, yeah, you mentioned there wasn't much horror in this film, but like I want to circle back to this thing about the loaded gun situation. Um, this is wild to me because I was taught from a very young age that if a, a, if a child ever showed up, bopped up with a loaded gun, that you would just like hightail and tell an adult because the odds of you dying in that encounter are pretty fucking high. And also hmm. my dad raised me around guns. So like guns weren't like, oh, my God, you got a fucking gun. It's more like, what the fuck are you doing with the gun of that adult present? Um, so every time I see kids with like a gun and their fingers on the trigger and like will and, and like River Phoenix saying, hey, it's not even loaded. And then will like looses off shot i was kind of in an abject, abject terror and i was actually kind of wondering at one point whether the body wasn't going to be like jerry o'connell or 
you know, that like they went oh, for a wow. wild goose chase and the, the body they discovered is one of their own, like blowing their heads off or something like that. Or I also thought like maybe they would get ran over by train because there's tons of foreshadowing of these fuckers getting ran over by the train. Can I just say, I think actually you're right that it is one of them essentially blowing their heads off. But like, I think this has oh, to be a suicide, I guess... right? I mean, there's mm. no way you get hit by a train accidentally. It's just, it's not going to happen. Trains are too loud. They're not like they're, you understand Gosh, oh, a train right. is coming down the track too far off. There's no way you can get surprised by a train, right? And that he wasn't on a stretch of the track where it's like coming out of a tunnel or uh, he got forced off on a bridge or, and they already showed an example of a child kind of like, I don't know if, 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 um, yeah, his character was trying to train. commit suicide or, just just doing the the slightly younger version of what Keith or Sutherland's done doing with the chicken stuff or 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 what. But yeah, yeah. you could see a kid with that kind of energy. I, I is that suicide? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, I no, I think it's more direct than that. I think this kid had the life that these kids have, right? And maybe just uh slightly worse, or maybe the kid didn't have friends to help him deal with it and just mm. went out there and got hit by a fucking train because he was alone. These guys had friends. Exactly, um, yeah. If, I, if I the, think that's the story they're telling here because otherwise it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. See, I didn't I wasn't expecting the plot to make sense because it was kind of like a literal hero's journey, like yeah, these yeah. kids discovering who they are and what they're about when there's no one kind of watching out for them. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh and and so I like it didn't surprise me that the body was kind of a dud and all that kind of. But but uh, I don't think I did find there be. was a lot of I think it's meant horror. to be more of a, a, a connected to these kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And like who these kids or the fate these kids could have if they didn't have each other. Well, since like uh, it's explicitly them becoming aware of their mortality, because mm-hmm. that's something that a lot of children don't think about, like the idea that like people can die. And then, you know, well, maybe old people die, but right. this is like a graphic meeting that like, oh, me, my dumb ass can die doing mm-hmm. the things that we're doing right now. Um, yeah, for sure. And that's. Yeah. And some of the like, um, what do you think the the what was it was Gord, um I, I don't know any of these characters names. I know like Chris and and uh, Gordo. Yeah. And then Vern is Jerry O'Connell and Fred Teddy. Teddy is Teddy. Teddy is, is the, 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 Chris, the crazy Corey one, Feldman, yeah. the really crazy one. Right. right. Uh, what do you think is his? Did, so what do you do you what do you think he was doing on the train tracks? then? I, I think I don't know. I don't know if he's doing something as as wild as like contemplating just getting hit by this fucking train in front of his friends here. I don't I don't think it's that. But he's. Well, He's got that like edge of I don't give a shit what happens to me because my life sucks, right? There's something you said earlier about his dad being uh, landing on Normandy, and it and it made me think that you took that story at face value because I had the suspicion that that's just a story that either his mother told him or that he told himself to make it be okay that his dad is mm-hmm. got some kind of severe mental illness and he's doing he's up in the state the state house could be. Uh, and so I was thinking that like it was like especially dark when he's like because when he's psyching himself up, he's like, all right, beaches of Normandy. Am I going to like like he's trying to prove that he had the same kind of nerve his dad does? Yeah. Um, yeah, you're probably right. Which kind of so like I was like, it's like so it's like, it's like is that a suicide or is that just being like really twisted up and have like these massive feelings of infor- inferiority and and like, yeah, like, like you've lost something and, and, and that 12. How the hell do you even articulate that? Right. Um, that's what I think is another thing that works really well is these children are like dealings with these problems of like inequality and just the basic unfairness of life, but they don't have like the language to discuss it, you know, and it also is really effective um, the way they they set off these like childish conversations they had about whether Superman can beat uh, Mighty Mouse. And if you could only have one food the rest of your life, what would be easy? Cherry Pez. Um, they it's set those like dog. The, yeah, is goofy a dog? Right. They 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 set set these crazy kind of childish um, conversations uh, with these very adult conversations, mm-hmm. but they're all in kind of the same. It's not like they suddenly start talking like they're psych majors or something. 
they're still like in very basic concepts um and when they can't like even describe where the pain is they kind of just break down and cry like kids do Mm -hmm. i just thought that was really remarkable um did you see anything about what stephen king thought about this movie i i didn't like read anything specific about it from from what i understand uh just by osmosis i guess is that stephen king considers this the best adaptation of his work or his favorite at least yeah i i read that uh, it was in a rolling because there's just tons tons of 30-year retrospectives i read one in um like rolling stones one in variety and the one in rolling stones uh he offered an account of i think no there's an interview with stephen king and and he said that this was his favorite he also likes he he likes a couple of them because i think Mm -hmm. i I had in mind that he hates all the adaptations he likes shawshank likes green mile um but uh he mentions his favorite and rob rob reiner gave a uh an anecdote uh at the screening that he gave that stephen king was there of course you know he would be and he went up to rob reiner at the end he's like you know when you had will wheaton pick up the gun because in the in the novella it's uh river phoenix's character chris that picks Mm. up the gun and runs off to tufts okay when you had Gordo pick it up, I like slapped my head as like, oh, of course. Why didn't I do that? And I thought that's like the highest praise you can possibly get from Stephen King. Not just like, oh, you did all right. You got the spirit of tone or like <laughs> you actually did the obvious character. Uh, yeah. The turn that, that I missed. But. um, hmm. I don't know, because the other thing I, I, I guess that they did in the adaptation is that the novel is more of like. um Chris's story and that they d- intentionally with the narration and the device of, uh, you know, Richard Dreyfus thinking about his childhood and in terms of his own children, uh, they use that to deliberately center the story on Gordo, which is how they I, I guess this is all like a last minute kind of like on filming decision is like, why don't we have will go for the gun? Yeah. And it just made so much sense. Um, it does. But like, yeah. When you're changing the perspective of the movie sure and that's the thing that's what i think is so amazing about like adaptations is like the choice to like well we want this to be a little bit more relatable so let's center it on the kid that's a writer and because we got the obvious hook there and like though that little butterfly flap ends up changing the end in a way that's so satisfying and you would have never done that if you hadn't changed the pov I just love that. You just said, let's make it more relatable by making it more about the writer. And this is like the writer thing to do, right? This is exactly what you said about your childhood. Oh, I just assumed that like all kids have the same childhood I have. Writers assume, oh, writer is default position for human beings. So let's write about that. And it's also telling me when that happens. It's also telling us like, well, it's centered on the middle class kid. Right. That's just on bat on hard times because his all American brother died in a Jeep accident. So and he's just kind of slumming with the hoods because he's more relatable because we don't get those the kids. Yeah. I mean, because what the fuck is Rob Reiner? How's he going to identify with a guy like, you know, he grew up in Hollywood. He wasn't chasing bodies across train tracks (laughs) and shit, hanging out with Corey (laughs) felt, you know, crazy people like uh, Corey Feldman. Rob Reiner, more of a moon or a goosher, do you think? <laughs> What's I had a never mooner? heard that term. I've heard the goose. I've heard of the gooch. And I, is this the movie that invents it or is this just it, it like something? Because be. I've heard of getting the gooch, but I've not heard of what's the mooner. The mooner is, is the opposite. Heads? The mooner is all heads. Yeah. Ah, so like I love I love things like this where like if you have in once you're like a way to settle petty like things like this like flipping coins or you know we do it at bald movie we, we got a coin flip thing that when we're deadlocked we can sometimes do but I've never heard of the odd man out so everyone flips and like whoever's tails uh, has to do it so like oh, if two yeah, people yeah. are tails and like they'd have to so like mm-hmm. well how did they decide on sending Will Wheaton if everyone got gooched well well it's usually I think it's when three people are flipping. I, I think four people fucks it up, right? You got to have two rounds, and it's usually when three people are flipping, then the odd man out is the the okay. one to do it. Gotcha, yeah, because that would work, right? Well, unless it's all, unless you get the gooch, right? It's a moon or a gooch, or you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't fucking. Sounds so stupid saying that stuff. Uh, I fucking and, love it. You know, I I had never heard those terms when I was a kid, which is interesting because I had heard the term barfarama. Like, I remember mm. that term being thrown around a lot when I was a child in the mid, you know, early 90s. Did did Chunk on Goonies describe what he did at the at, at the movie theater as a real barfarama? Maybe because the 
so this came out in eight, uh, I think uh, when the Goonies come out in 87. That's a pretty quick, quick turnaround. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Barfarama was just a thing the kids were saying. In, oh, 85. So, yeah, there's no way that happened. Hollywood um, picked up on it. And, but yeah. yeah, I, I remember Barfarama being a thing when I was a kid. Yeah, I do, too, because there's also part of like the Valley Girl shit that was going around. Like gagging with a spoon, total barfarama. Like, oh that's, sure. Do you remember yeah. that stuff? Oh, Rama was yeah. definitely something you could add to the end of just about any word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what do you make Keith or Sutherland in this movie? He looks like he stepped right off the set of The Lost Boys. I love it. I I don't know if Keith Sutherland, Kiefer Sutherland, has ever played anything other than this character right here in every movie he's ever been in, uh, especially from the '80s. But I hope not, because he's great at this. Yeah, he just beats up little kids and 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 causes trouble. Um, God almost kills that log truck driver just to win a chicken match. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus Christ! That's another thing. It's like, yeah, there's plenty of horror in this film. It's just not uh, clowns coming out of sewers. Um, yeah. I also like the like the 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 myth versus reality. Like they built up this chopper sick balls moment. I thought it's like, man, it's going to be like the Sandlot when you finally see this. It's going to like be Cujo, mm-hmm. and it's not. It's like what a golden retriever or some kind of like. Not it's yeah. not a Doberman. It's not a pit bull. It's not the the dogs you it's think like a of. Fluffy, scary. cuddly dog. Yeah, it's yeah. just like a and and uh, and also the way in his mind he heard sick balls, but he just said sick them. <laughs> right. um, I thought that was um, pretty pretty good. That was fun. Uh, that that strikes me as like the fun side of Stephen King's writing, for sure. Yeah. Um. What did you think of the? I, also, like I liked it when they were out in camping and like the the wolves and coyotes were howling and they had to take turns standing watch and that was like funny because, um, I like Jerry O'Connell where he's just jumping at everything. Mm-hmm. Um. But also gave the kids to kind of like be able to pair off and have like, you know, these these like realistic conversations about stuff. And it's just there's a nice kind of like break between the act Um, because that was immediately after uh, it's immediately after the train adventure. Right. And then you had Barfarama. Mm -hmm. Um, What? So let's talk about Barfarama. This movie just takes a 10 minute detour to talk about it. Yeah, it feels a little like padding. In in a movie that we they go oh god this is 110 minutes guys we need another 10 to at least get or not not even 110 minutes this is this is an hour 10 we need another 10 minutes but I kind of like the fact that the movie spent so much of its running time establishing the character as kind of this raconteur you know mm-hmm. like he is a guy that's got just like loaded with tales and it'd be one thing if it's like oh we just love your stories man they're always cracking us up they're always so this they're always so that and we never hear one yeah, yeah. like. You know, taking the time to commit and having it be like this, like little arc and all that. I I thought that I the the only thing is I thought it might be like a little bit of a um, a shot in the arm for uh, uh, Vern, the fat kid. Yeah. uh, That like he would eventually get some kind of comeuppance over Corey Feldman's character. They would, but like he never really does. There's a point in a movie where he tries to beat him up, but like it's it's pretty uh, pretty over and done with. but I thought it's like, oh, well, surely they're going to go out. Is this going to like lead to some kind of character moment for the the big kid? But it doesn't. Yeah, not really. I was surprised at his reaction to the story, although I think they kind of like show you that he's cool being the kind of chubby kid when at least there are other people who are bigger than him out there. Right. He talks about mm-hmm. his cousin who's like 300 mm-hmm. pounds and mm-hmm. he's kind of digging this story about lard ass. Uh, yeah, his reaction to it was a little surprising, but I think it works. Um, it it also made me realize that like he's he's not just the fat kid in this group, right? I think he's also the poor kid because they're talking about like, oh, he's looking for his pennies that he buried. He's only got seven cents in his pocket hmm. to contribute to the food. Here he asks like, did Lardass have to pay for admittance to the pie eating contest? So there's like, yeah, huh? Yeah, you're right. Because yeah, I, I, I might be the kid where his poor. parents are like, I put this food on the table. You're going to eat every fucking last scrap, kid, because we're not letting any of it go to waste because we don't have the money for that. Mm. It it kind of like puts a little context there that I was not picking up on earlier. 
That's interesting because his character is by far the least developed. Like everyone else has like a backstory. And yeah. so I was like, kind of like, well, I wonder what they, but you're right. They did subtly paint that picture. The problem is like, I guess I assumed that all those kids were, except for maybe Will's family. Right. Was kind of like what I would call, you know, poor. They're probably getting their lunches for free at school, you know? Yeah. But you're no, right. I, I think I, you're right. Everyone had at least a buck in their pocket, except for yeah. this guy only had, and you know, losing opinions is a big deal for him. So. I liked also Will Wheaton keeping the deer for himself. I do that sometimes too. If I'm up early and I see and like, you know, it's like, yeah, do I really want to like brag that I saw blah, blah, blah. I mean, has uh, this ever been more relevant than our current culture? Like if, if this was 2021, he would have had his fucking Android phone, yeah. device out posting on Instagram about how cute this deer was. And he would have tried to walk up to get a selfie with it. Like I, yeah, this, this has never been more relevant. I do that a lot where it's like this, like last weekend when we we're on, on vacation, we were out and we stumbled upon an albino chipmunk. Can you fucking believe it? Hmm. This chipmunk, Chippendale, pink eyes, white as all the snow, just rump around in forest, got a bunch of videos. So I'm like, that's cool. Eh. I, was, and I, I thought I was like, yeah, I'll probably post something to Twitter or something. But I'm like, eh, who cares? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's OK to just have experiences. Yeah, have the and- moment for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Keep them to See, I've yourself. already ruined it. I've ruined it by talking on a podcast. I sullied it. I didn't That's keep dear to myself. I didn't even wait 30 years for a retro death retrospective for my friend. No. Nope. You know? Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, Leech. See, that's the thing. It's like, I, um, I have had these kind of, like I said, I've, I've been to where I, I go to a friend's house and they're swearing at their parents. Um, I never gotten a, a leech experience until I got into an adult, uh, an adult. But when my son was about five or six, him and his uh, cousin, who's like seven or eight or nine, go out in into the creek uh, behind uh, my cut, my, my nephew's grandma's house. And they just got covered in leeches from like the waist down. And these kids running in like chickens with their heads cut off, screaming about leeches. And my son doesn't understand the concept of leeches. He thinks we're saying bleach. And he's like, I don't want these bleaches on me. <laughs> it's just like I was cracking up and like Will Wheaton having to grab that big fucker off of his nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God. It's he's so, traumatized by it, man. He's got a thousand is. yard stare after that. It would be a it would be a pretty, pretty bad, pretty bad time. To oh, have yeah. To, to pick all those off and then know that there's just one more in the, in the most sensitive spot. <laughs> um. Yeah. And what do you think about the the standoff over the body? Oh, I love this. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it really pairs nicely with the game of chicken that he plays with that truck. Uh, that Kiefer plays with the truck earlier, right? Like he's not scared of this truck crashing into him because like truck's kind of predictable. Truck doesn't. Truck driver doesn't want to die either. Yeah, and true. he knows. You know, he's he's not driving a, a Toyota, right? He's driving one of those big metal beasts it probably probably hurt um mm-hmm. and but then here like he doesn't back down there but here when will wheaton's got this gun pointed at him he sees something in him right he knows uh and, and i love the line like oh what are you gonna do kid shoot us all he's like no just you ace that's that's right that's 100 percent right that's what you do it was pretty right it's pretty badass um yeah. and it's like it that's why the scene of him playing chicken is so powerful because we know that guy is not afraid to like risk a pretty high degree of death yeah. to win a game and this is and this has got stakes to it they all think there's going to be a monetary reward and they've thought it all through and you know they're going to and so and they're they're heavily outnumbered these little kids the fact that uh yeah, he backed him the fuck off with this pistol uh, was was huge. Now, that's the other thing. It's like I felt a little twinge of like I was a little like Jerry O'Connell. Like, well, what happens next? Mm-hmm. Because like, did Keith or Sutherland try to pass another semi in the way to his house and got pasted? Because I hope so. These guys are junior highs with like the most dangerous gang. Junior high schoolers with the most dangerous gang in town gunning for them. Yeah, th- this is Crispin Glover punching. uh what's his name in back to the future you know oh, biff tanner it, yeah, it, yeah yeah punching biff in back to the future like yeah biff goes down that night but biff comes back you know i don't know that biff turns into old biff who's just this you know right. sniveling coward right uh, and becomes your car washer i, I think he oh, comes back the next night the... and beats the shit out of you 
this what this is what broke the Kiefer uh, empire, man. <laughs> okay, yeah. Ace and eyeball just does this, this like man. I, I thought I didn't know you were a pussy. I didn't know you'd be backed off by a twelve right. year old with a fucking gun. It probably wasn't even loaded, and then that just broke the cobras. <laughs> yeah, cobras just did more for gang violence in that town than the FBI. I loved uh, I loved the line that he <laughs> he gives him like suck my fat one, <laughs> and then the shit that he gets about that later. Uh, from, Which is funny because you know, know what? You it's actually hard to come up with witty repartee when you're oh, jacked yeah. with adrenaline and a life or death. I've never been able to like uh, right before a fight come up with some kind of like badass one liner. Uh, no. You have to get in a ton of fights before you get that kind of experience. Uh, I'll say if he does have a foul one, it's probably only because the leech was sucking his entire bo- blood supply out through his dick earlier. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's probably a little engorged at the moment. It's probably yeah. a foul one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's like, yeah, he's, he's got a whole fucking bloodthirsty gang out, out for him. And, yeah. uh, but it's just like, yeah, junior high. And then, uh, I was uh, this and my buddy was a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I want to talk about. I, I like the ending. Um, it's so they go back and they talk about how the town seems smaller. Right. Um, right. And then you kind of flash forward and you know, a bunch of years and you get to Richard Dreyfuss writing the narration that is, you know, writing the story that is the narration in this movie. Um, and it, he says something, he ends the story with, uh, something about like I ha- I never had friends quite like I did when I was 12 years old and then Jesus who does right mm-hmm. and I think that's maybe the most relatable part of this because like when you're 12 your only responsibility in life is to figure out who you are and figure out what the hell life is and that's it when you get older you have a lot of responsibilities that get in the way of forming like super deep relationships in this way because you don't have a lot of the same shared experiences. You don't have a lot of those moments where there's nothing between you and life um, yeah. and your friends. Right. And as a child, there's no agendas too. like at that age. Anyway, they, they, yeah. they stack up pretty quick in junior high and high school. But like in elementary school, right. like, you know, if a kid wants to be your friend, it's because you guys like the same cartoon or like mm-hmm. to draw the same. It's like it's very uncomplicated. It's not like transactional. Like, well, if I befriend you, then these other people, you're not cool. Yeah, and- no politics. No politics. Uh, so you do get eclectic and like, you know, I, I can because like I was I was in a <laughs> I was grew up in rural Indiana and I'd add a cult to the mix. So I grew up <laughs> with a pretty eclectic <laughs> mix of weirdos. And that's yeah. the thing that I identify to like, you know, um, just having to get along with a bunch of people that are not like you being forced together by circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like it's a, it's also crazy how influential this movie is. You know, in terms of like Stranger Things, would Stranger Things be made if this movie didn't exist? I don't know. Yeah. Um, because that's the other thing I admired about is like a coming of age story that doesn't center around like a boy's first kiss or making time with a girl or, you know, anything other than just dealing with life. Because like when I was 12, I wasn't, you know, like I was still a couple years away from worried about even worrying about what girls thought of me. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's the thing when I think in terms of like growing up and maturing, like my sexual relations with people don't usually factor into that. Mm-hmm. It's more of like, you know, responsibility and taking care of yourself and that kind of thing. So I like that because that's what this movie is all about. It's about taking responsibility for yourself, taking responsibility for other people. You know, like mm-hmm. like there's that scene where Chris like specifically says. uh you know, I'm, I got to, it's like, it's like, it's his job to keep this guy from getting killed. You know, um, yeah. like, I, like if your parents won't look after you, then I guess I, I should, because someone needs to, um, that stuff was just really amazing. And, again, and then the by the end, they end up looking out for each other, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, Chris is only in those courses, those college courses, whatever, because uh, Gordy got him there, right? Gordy like invited him to do that. And there's a they also showed the difference between like the relationship that Chris and Gordy had with uh, the other two because those guys ran yeah. off when the and and you know when they came back there wasn't a bunch of recriminations like you bunch it's just they just understood that like well these like you know we're we just have a little bit different stuff you know in, in terms of you know I don't know standing up to bullies and shit I thought that yeah. was kind of interesting too like you showing that group dynamic. Stranger Things kind of gets into that too. I think Lucas and Dustin, you know, 
They they are yeah. kind of the Vern and Teddy of this group in a way. Yeah, yeah. The the, the only problem with that is that uh, the other two are just both Will Wheaton. <laughs> yeah. So I want to I want to talk about Will Wheaton. Okay. Because, man, in one of those retrospectives, he actually opened up about, like, how angry he gets when he thinks about, like, River Phoenix and how, like, he was just kind of left to twist in the wind and, like, he was going to be, of their generation, of their, like, teen beat generation, he was going to be the fucking star. He was going to be the Tom Hanks, Brad Pitt that generation mm-hmm. and you know because no one is looking after him got cut short and like you know will centering on his, his around himself it's like you know i've always felt like um that was terrible and also like this i have this weird relationship with this movie because like a lot i i am thankful of course because this is a great like i'll always be remembered for this and it was such a great experience but being it being kind of the first thing i did like i have just had nothing but sophomore slumps and I remember tying that into like stuff he wrote in that memoirs from a teenage future. This is he, he like took a stab at writing his memories of making Star Trek. And one of the things that stick out in my mind is like how much people hated Wesley Crusher. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he relates the story of being at a con, a fan con and hearing one of the uh, like, like hearing uh, the writers from the show on a panel, taking audience questions. And they're like, well, what are you going to do about the Wesley problem? And one of the uh, writers is like, well, what do you do with the problem? Like Wesley and got a big laugh. And he's like, you bitch, you're the one putting me the words in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Like get river, get river Phoenix on this set and have him say the, mm-hmm. you know, well, I like having fun, but not maybe not that kind some games. I'm not too old <laughs> enough to play and, and, and see if the audience doesn't think he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Like they, you know, I mean like, God damn, what a kick in the nuts to like, what a, what a, you know, you think that's going to be the thing to boost your career. And then like all the writers sabotage you and like make you to scapegoat for their own failures. And you're like 13 or 14 years old. Yeah. Oh, fuck, man. It's rough. Like, I, yeah. And like, I, I think sometimes Will's a little insufferable and, you know, uh, but like also I, I get it, man. Like, Jesus, the like, I don't know whether what, what is it, if it's, it's imposter syndrome or what, but like I saw this movie and it's the first thing I've seen Will that like he just shines in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, God damn, at, I don't know if Will Wheaton can act. But this year in this movie with this director, that motherfucker could act. It's because Rob Reiner screamed in his face. If you don't fucking act, I'm going to come to your house tonight. I'm going to fill your mouth with leeches. <laughs> uh, maybe. But I also think we are a little too hard on Wesley. Wesley yeah. Crusher. Yeah. Uh, or at least Will Wheaton. Maybe we're appropriately hard on, Will, uh, on Wesley Crusher. Fuck that guy. But Will, Will Wheaton uh, was done dirty. Will Wheaton, he could have been. Uh, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of a child star in an adult film that kind of breaks out because usually they are the foils. They are the, they're written to be deliberately annoying foils to the adults. Uh, so it's a thankless task. And uh, we, we did you dirty. We did you as a pop culture. We did you a little dirty. Will Wheaton. And I'm sorry. Sure. <laughs> I, that hope, said, I hope you're at peace. Like, you know, I think will Wheaton, uh, you know, Wesley Crusher is not the greatest part of star Trek, the next generation, but also, it's become extremely nostalgic for me and I love it sure. in its own way. And back when I was a kid, I liked Wes. I, I liked Wesley Crusher because right. um, I was, I was, I was a bit of a know-it-all and I got in trouble with the adults for that kind of shit. And I was a nerd, didn't know how to fit in. And I wore a bunch of ugly, stupid shit. So like, I, I, I really related to him. I wish um, they wouldn't slick his hair back always in all of his movies. Cause like, cause it makes it look like a huge fucking piece of shit. Right. Right. The slick back hair. He looks so much better when he gets out in the woods and his hair just kind of flops and gets dry. It it looks so much better. Why did they do this to you, Will? Why'd you let him do it? And also, like, River Phoenix, who has, like, really great hair. I mean, this guy's good looking. Chop it all off. They just chop it off because that's, like, what a dad who doesn't fucking care is like, you know, it's like, I ain't going to pay for a quarter for you to go down to the bar, but just it's not uneven and sticks up in weird places. Uh, Yeah kind of a filthy shirt i that that shit just felt like really really right what else we got man i think that's it i think so too um i really enjoyed staying by me if you haven't seen it probably should uh and if you haven't seen it in a while give it a check because i thought it's also like interesting to see you know like how you think about it differently as a as a kid versus uh an adult versus a middle-aged person i like the part at the end with the richard dreyfus like 
you know, adapting and like showing that he is a more active part of his kid's life that like, yeah. you know, maybe he's not perfect because he gets a little weird when he's writing, but also he's able to take that note from his child and pull himself out of his writer's hole and go have a good time with him. So that, that stuff that was, was cool too. Oh, and I did want to say this is a very successful movie, right? It's got a reputation for a reason. Um, a lot of people saw it. It made a lot of money and also it was nominated for an Academy award for best adapted screenplay. Uh, didn't win, lost to a room with a view, but hmm. by all rights, it was a very successful movie. And it's so wild that uh, one of the big stories about this is no one wanted to touch this movie for distribution. Huh. They had yeah. it independently financed because Rob Reiner had this like little some spiner, spinal tap money and a little bit of reputation, but no one wanted. And it's like, I guess one uh, it was a Columbia studio. Like an exec saw like screened it for some friends and they all end up like laughing and sobbing like, you know, I don't know if this movie will make fucking money because this is about four kids walking on train tracks, but I kind of love it mm-hmm. and, and took a gamble on it. But I'm like, do does Hollywood just like pass on things sight unseen? Because I can't imagine seeing this movie and being like, no, oh, who's going? How are we going to market this thing? Who's going to be interested in seeing this movie? Like maybe it's a tricky market. I guess. Well, I don't know if but. you're aware, but there's a lot of who you know going on in Hollywood yeah. and, and who you are. And I don't think mm-hmm. any of these kids were much of anything at the time. And the, certainly the writers and whatnot were not much of anything. Rob Reiner was a name. Yeah. Um, so I, once he takes it to people, you assume it's going to get funded. But I don't know. It's just funny how the studio system uh, really can... Uh, green light so much shit and uh, almost strangle in the cr- cradle so much gold yeah anyway that's our thoughts on stand by me had a lot of fun watching it uh hope you guys had a lot of fun listening to the podcast next time we'll see you on the prestige podcast we'll be next week we're gonna be checking out uh brokeback mountain mm-hmm. that's i have not have you seen that movie it's another glaring yeah, it's another one of those things where swept the oscars got everybody buzzing i'm sure i'm going to really enjoy it heath ledger uh yeah. But I uh, haven't seen it. So if uh, I'm, I'm expecting another glowing review next week, uh, check us out then. But until that time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.